Okay, so since I've had my kind of faith crisis or transition or whatever, I've really like sat down. I've tried to like figure out what is life, <laughs> you know, like what is it, you know? I remember the primary lesson uh, very, very well when they stood up in front and they had a glove and a hand and they said, the glove is your physical body and the hand is your spiritual body. And when you die, then they take the glove off the hand. So the, the hand and the glove thing, right? So that's yeah. that's that's always bothered me because and I remember talking to my friend when I was a teen uh, in, in teacher's form, you know, talking about how like, like why would your hand, why would your spiritual hand be the same shape as your <laughs> body? You know, like, you know, like right? I agree. Yeah. So and I I think even with the this this current pandemic that we're in, we're seeing people recognize because of this little virus <laughs> okay we, we're, we're all pretty similar in the way that we could be infected by this and yeah we might have differences in symptoms but because um, I could get it and not even know that I have it and then pass it on to somebody that's high at risk I'm not willing to do that so I'm going to uh, participate in this social distancing and it's it's an act of love you know to, to to go to recognize the oneness we're all we're all similarly vulnerable to this threat that's out there so let's do something where um, we we take care of each other I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 620, The Hand and the Glove. And this is a conversation that I had with a listener named Scott. He's a divorce attorney. No, it's not that Scott divorce attorney. It's a different one. If, for those of you who remember that there used to be a Scott who was a divorce attorney who was part of Infants on Thrones. Hasn't been for a while. Anyway, this is a different Scott. He wrote some really interesting questions to me in an email, and I said, let's have a conversation about it. And so we did. And I really liked the conversation. Uh, come back. Let's do this again, Scott. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Starting right now. All right, so Scott, you know we've, we've we've had another divorce uh, attorney on the podcast named Scott. <laughs> he used to call himself Jesse, though he went by a fake name. You would never do that, would you, Scott? <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about yourself. You're you are a listener of Infants on Thrones. How long have you been listening? Well, I was definitely back in the the Mormon Expression days. So really, I was, you've been oh, listening yeah. for that long? Oh yeah. Um, I can remember working out in the gym, listening to John Larson talk about how stupid it is to cut off a person's head. <laughs> oh yeah, with the and then there was like the the javelin thing that Mike Tannehill was talking about a javelin and then cutting off the head was was that the same one or a different one? Maybe I I think it was like the like the top ten debunking of the Book of Mormon, you know, and how mm. how it was impossible for Nephi to build a boat and whatnot, and then mm. so. But I remember, yeah, back then I listened to the whole Mormon expression and I, and I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I got into that before. Like, I remember when you guys formed infants on thrones and mm -hmm. I would, I remember listening to, um, all you guys talking, I don't know, you guys were just way cool and I love listening to it. Um, I'm glad that you use that in the past tense, Scott, that we was, we <laughs> was were, way cool. Yeah. There was a cool. time. 
There was a time. <laughs> the coldness has only increased. Yeah, so sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny you just mentioned Tannehill. I, I can remember pulling up, like sitting in a parking lot, listening to you guys talk about the curse of Cain and like yeah. when the whole priesthood essay came out and ridiculous stuff. Oh, yeah. When we had him on infants about that. Yeah. That was so fascinating that he found himself at odds with the yeah. leadership of the church because of uh, those essays that came out. Yeah, it was, it was funny. He's an interesting guy. But yeah, I've been around for a long time with you guys. So cool. appreciate so, everything you guys do. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, so what what has your journey been like? Because we're talking about 10 years then of listening to this, what would you, you call it, post-Mormon podcasting? Uh, but, yeah. But so wh- where are you in, in your journey with that? You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that. Um, like, how did I start listening to you, everything, right? And Because mm-hmm. uh, you still attend church, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, when, when they hold church. Right. No, so oh, we're, okay. we're attending our house. Now. So yeah. yeah, the last, uh, this last Sunday was interesting. Um, but we, uh, I, I, I like podcasts a lot. So I've always liked podcasts for, for probably 15 years. Okay. And audio books and things like that. And yeah. I think that I originally used to listen to a bunch of like talks and stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, and I get like, um, you know, I say cool now with air quotes, cool talks from like, um, you know, Elder Irene and, and good, good speakers, you know, uh, who would do like the longer BYU talks and stuff like that, or the devotionals, mm. you know what I mean? And I, I really enjoyed those. So I, I, I was kind of looking for podcasts all the time. And I think I just stumbled upon Mormon expressions. I just typed in like Mormon podcast or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know why I didn't have like a red flag, like, you know, like this is apostate, <laughs> you know, like stay away. Um, I, so, so were you like, when you start, when you were listening to John Larson and Mormon expression, you were a believer. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know like how I, I, I feel like in the last year or two, I've seen like a definite change in my attitude, like huh. a, a real, a real strong change. Like, like I don't like the church anymore and I mm. would get out if I could. Um, and, and so that's been like the last year or two though, like it, before that though, it was real gradual over like a decade where I kind of like, you know, I would, do, and I can remember, I have some really close friends, um, guy friends from like high school that we're all in touch with each other and stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember having like real serious conversations with one of my best friends, like five years ago or six years ago, talking about how like, I'm not a positive, but I you know, I just don't think that the prophets are everything they say they are. You know what I mean? Like trying to explain like my nuanced position and I'm tired of nuanced positions. <laughs> That's why mm. I would just, I'd like to just get out. Of it. <laughs> but, um, I do like nuance. So I do like talking about these things and stuff, but like anything with the church, I just feel it's just, I just don't have a good attitude about it. You know, I'm not like super negative or anything like that, but I don't have like a, like I'm not willing to, argue with people either way you know what i mean yeah. like like people who think the church is great like desnat or whatever you know and then like or people like even progressive mormons are like frustrating for me yeah. you know because i but i don't know it's hard so every now and then i talk to my wife about this stuff um and i and, uh, and what like when you say this stuff like what are the what are the issues for you that um so when, when something what so when when something's big enough so i haven't talked about like my thoughts on the church and things like that and and explicitly ever really but every now and then something will come out in the news that's like finally you know this is big enough that i can say like hey i don't i don't agree with this right and Mm. so like for an example if you remember the whole thing with uh the the lady that taped herself talking to her mission president yeah mckenna denson yeah mckenna denson that whole thing Mm -hmm. and that made the news a little bit and it was around the same time that the church was trying to make it so you couldn't record each other 
Um, you know, and, and so that really, and it was around the time too, that the whole, um, what was that, that guy, young guy that does the protect the kids stuff? Oh yeah. Sam Young. Yeah. Sam Young. Yeah. Yeah. So that was all kind of in the, in the news. And, and I, and I remember sitting my wife down and being like, you know, I, I'm really, I really worry about our family and our kids and their safety in the church because like, you know, like the church is, is concerned about the church and not our family. And if it, and I remember saying this to her, like if it, if it chewed up our kids, it would chew up our kids and spit them out before it would help us if it meant protecting itself. Mm. And, and I, you know, and I, and I was really upset that the church was trying to make it so you couldn't record other people because that's like directly mm-hmm. um, hurting victims, you know, who can get proof that way. <laughs> but the church is like, no, and I know the church has its own reason. It's not to protect, uh, you know, predators, but that is a direct, um, you know, the church just doesn't want to be embarrassed anymore from all yeah. these conversations of stupid people saying stupid things uh, apart from sexual predatory stuff, you know, just like making dumb claims about the um, uh, gospel doctrine and stuff like that. And so, um, but I, uh, so we had a conversation about that and she was fine with it and she's actually pretty cool about stuff. I mean, like she doesn't like, like, so this last one, you know, president Nelson gave a talk at BYU. Um, see, I don't even know how much you follow this stuff anymore, but none zero. Uh, yeah. So, so president Nelson gave a talk at BYU, um, last like in the fall, I think. And it, uh, it really, really pissed me off because he like lied in it three times. He just straight up lied. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly the lies, but there's like three things where he just said, like, I mean, they were demonstrably untrue. And so I sat her down and I said, Hey, I was like, I was kind of ominous. I'm like, Hey, I would really like you to, to listen to this. And then I want to talk about it. And she's like, fine. So we listened to it. Oh, she listened to it. And I guess, uh, I just said like, you know, this is president Nelson. This is the prophet, you know, and he's, he lied about, I guess, I think one of the things I remember was that he lied about, um, he's, he says with a straight face that marriage has always been between a man and a woman. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I just said, it hasn't always, I mean, the church's history is crazy when it, when it comes to stuff. And we kind of had a conversation and I, and I just said like, you know, I just don't believe, I don't believe the prophets anymore. I think that they, um, I think that they have, you know, as much guidance as we do. And, and I was like a strong, I came out basically, but she didn't really take it super serious. She was actually fine with it. She let me talk. And she actually asked me like a really deep question that we went into a little bit. She said like, well, what do you think happens when we die? And looking back, I, I see now like, well, that's actually, it was a really good question for her to even entertain. Cause I think she recognized in that moment that like I was questioning everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I kind of just made a, a comment about how, um, I talked about how like, well, from the church's perspective, you know, like who knows? And, and, um, I think I, I talked about how, like, like if, if we got a divorce and you had another kid, it'd be my kid or something like that. Like, like the church doesn't know. And I, I, I think I should have like, rather than kind of taken because of the ceiling, because you guys are sealed together. If you didn't get a temple cancellation, right. Yeah. It would know, be sealed to you. Right. And yeah. so I should have, I should have talked, I should have talked more about my thoughts, like what I want to talk to you today, you know, like those things I sent you. Um, but anyway, but ever since then, though, and so that was a while ago now, and she was actually really cool about it. Cause I'm just like, you know, super nervous. I mean, do you listen to, um, it's kind of funny. I didn't really get into Mormon stories until about like a year ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like, uh, uh, John Delin's stuff until about a year, but actually I, I do like it now because I, I do like letting people say their stories. Yeah. And I kind of listening to them. Yeah. There's this guy. Um, oh gosh, what is his name? He's a really cool guy. Uh, Anthony Miller, I think. Is yeah. 
Yeah, I've had, I've, Anthony's been on uh, Infants a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy thing, right? So like I listened to his podcast back in like August and, and, uh, um, and it was just, it was just crazy to me because I was listening to him and he's so well-spoken and so thoughtful, right? Yeah, he's a he is. Su- yeah. Super, super awesome guy. And I was driving to work and it was, and he, he got to the part where he had, he found out um, about, I can't remember exactly why, but he started researching the church. Right. And so mm-hmm. he, and he like said how he just was like devastated and he just broke down and because he, he was so worried um, about, about losing his, you know, his whole life. And like, and he made a comment, something, I can't remember it exactly like this, but he made a comment about losing his wife or something like that. And I tell you what, man, like I had to pull over. Like I just started like uncontrollably bawling. Like it, it blew me away. And the, th- the thought of, of losing your wife because of a faith crisis. Yeah. 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 Right. And, uh, and even now I'm getting a little choked up, but I, yeah. I never, I never, uh, it was, it was just insane to me because I literally had to pull over and I couldn't stop crying for like 15 minutes. That's sweet. I, that's wondering that, that you love your wife more than you care about any of this other church stuff. That's what it says to me. Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> I definitely love my family and my wife more than anything about the church. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, but that, that kind of, I think that might've been like a turning point for me. Cause I think, having that experience, it kind of, I kind of realized like, I got issues, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, like this is it. I, I don't like, I have a real fear here of the church. And, um, and, uh, and so and I think that was actually around the time I talked to my wife or before, after, I think it was actually after or before anyway. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but. Well, so, so really, I mean, we're talking about this mainly because you're concerned about, this conversation getting back to her um you're concerned about how she would respond if she knew exactly how you felt right church um yeah i and i think there are a lot of people out there who have similar feelings and similar concerns to what you have so that it makes a lot of sense and it's hard because i from my so given my line of work and everything and like i don't like and like we just spoke about it's not worth you know, destroying my family over yeah. something like the church, you know, and, and, and I felt this way for a long time. It's good. It's definitely changed over time. And so I, I could do this, but it does get harder and harder. And it's funny because I have several friends in the exact same boat. Um, yeah. um, but it does get harder and harder. Like this last week we, we did home sacrament. Right. And, uh, we did a lesson <laughs> and, and, uh, it's, uh, the part of the lesson was the, if, if you recall the issue with the words of Mormon and how like, God totally foresaw that Joseph was going to lose the 116 pages. That's awesome. And like, and my like, and my wife like wanted me to explain it, and I was like, it was hard. Like, it was really hard. And I just, and I, I said it in like a sentence because I'm like, this is so. Dumb. Would she would she be open to to that South Park episode? I know, right? That's so funny. Um, yeah, maybe I'll end up showing it to her sometime. But um, I actually have a big project idea um, that I. I probably won't do it because I, I, I like to get big ideas and I don't follow through on them. But um, <laughs> the uh, but I would love to do, I think it'd be really neat to have like a, a, a truly annotated Book of Mormon. Okay. So like something online, like in a, like a Google Drive or something like that, mm-hmm. where every paragraph of the Book of Mormon, you can show how it was changed from the original. Okay. And you can show, exp- and it, like, um, you can show like the uh, where it's a co- exact copy from the Bible, okay, and where it's a copy from 
the Joseph Smith's Bible rather than the Bible that Lehi and, and Nephi would have had, right? Mm. Um, you can show, and then also it'd be interesting like to really lay out like where Joseph Smith was lifting from his own life, right? So like the tree of life and how that was a story that was told to his family when he, mm-hmm. as he grew up. And also, and just another, another kind of parallels to like 19th century Protestantism and, and, uh, and so, cause I really think that it, and you, you could just by doing something like that, which is a huge, a huge endeavor, sure. but you could, you could debunk the church so well, but just like, not even like, like mean, like, you know, Joseph Smith's a liar and all this stuff. I mean, just say, just say like, look, look at this, like, look at, and the, and the big thing, cause it, 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 the book of Mormon, like tackles in my mind, the, the biggest things, which are um, the priesthood like where did the priesthood come from um, and the priesthood ban and, and like uh, racism in the church and polygamy. I think it's all there, you know, and you can, if you do a deep dive in any of those, I just don't see how you come out believing the church, you know, um, the, uh, the, my, my, I want to say my favorite, but I don't know if that's the right word, but when my, like, I really like uh, Dan Vogel's idea. This is one of my favorite, you know, Dan Vogel. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has this really good video about the priesthood that really blew me away. And I actually got this off of a, a podcast from um, Sunstone, their Mormon history podcast with Lindsay Hanson Park. Uh-huh. And, uh, and her, her, I can't remember the guy's name who helps her, but that's a great podcast. I love that. Um, but they played a clip of this Dan Vogel uh, video and I watched it and it blew me away because it talked about how like, like it's so like when you look at the past, you can see how Joseph Smith was just kind of flying by the seat of his pants and he just making up stuff. And then, and that stuff would change. He was like retroactively changing history. Right. It's so like the priesthood was ever even mentioned like for years in the church. Right. And then, and then we had elders and there's still no priesthood. And then you can see where, and if I remember correctly, there's this Bishop Partridge who was giving Joseph Smith a hard time. And then Joseph Smith all of a sudden says like, all right, guys, I've got the priesthood. You guys got to do what I say, you know? And, Whereas like for like eight years, the church was functioning without any mention of a priesthood. And um, Dan Vogel's video is really good. And, and so, but there, I think I would just love to have like a document where you could just go in and read it. And it's not like, it doesn't take like a strong persuasive argument or not. It's just presenting the evidence that's out there. You know, this yeah. is. Um, well, you, you go, you make that annotated Book of Mormon. <laughs> you know, what, what I'm interested in is an HBO series on the early church and like Joseph Smith and, and early Mormonism. I think, I think something like that would be fascinating. I, did you ever see the, the HBO show uh, Deadwood? No, I didn't. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, Deadwood's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, it's not really cowboy, but it's, it's, it's a Western um, uh, about the North Dakota territory before it became a state and just how it was kind of like this lawless land and uh, you know, like Buffalo Bill. Uh, and anyway, it, 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 it's an interesting show. When I, when I first started watching that, I was watching that and Boardwalk Empire at the same time. And I thought, boy, you, you have this really nice hybrid. You know, Boardwalk Empire is about like the mafia in New Jersey around the time of the Prohibition. And oh, wow. um like blending those two kinds of things. You got the Mormon mafia forming in Kirtland and Nauvoo and these really, I don't know. I just, I thought that would be a great, that'd be a great television show. But uh, Have you seen uh, Tiger King? Have you been watching? No, that? I, I keep seeing references to it. I eventually I'll, I'll. Well, we're, we're a couple of episodes in, but yeah. the only reason I bring it up is because it's, it's a fascinating, it's really entertaining. And mm-hmm. the, the characters are like unreal. Like you really can't believe that these people exist. And they're talking to the documentary guy. I mean, it's so funny because there's like five or six main characters and they're all just being like 
out there, like fully engaging with this documentary guy. And it's clear that the documentary guy is going to use it and, you know, do what he wants with it. Right. It just kind of made me think about like, you know, I wonder if that's how Joseph Smith would be if we could have had a documentary crew with him. Like he, would he have been like super secretive or would he have been just like, crazy guy just thinks he's awesome he's not making any you know he's, he's doing everything he needs to do he's not making any mistakes i don't know i was just thinking that it would be fun to have like a, a documentary or something like that of joseph yeah. smith no it'd be it'd, it'd be really interesting because i think no, no matter where you are with your belief level in the church everybody has like a slightly different version of joseph smith that they're carrying around in their heads with them and so to be able to see what that guy was actually like I, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think that would be, be so fun. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Maybe one day that'd be fun. Yeah. But. Cool. So, so you, you sent me an email, um, and, um, that you, you, you like the direction that this podcast has gone. Um, I don't know that, that a lot of listeners are in that same boat. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> if people are listening now, I guess they're still, uh, liking, but, but the Abraham Hicks stuff, the conversations with quad stuff that I've had, um, you know, kind of more exploring mysticism and spirituality. You like the Jordan Peterson stuff when we've done like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson discussions in the past. So, so you, you sent me these five things that you've been pondering and I thought it'd be fun to just kind of like read, read each one of these and then have a conversation, see where it goes with it. Sure. Uh, one, one quick thing. I think uh, I just want to make a comment about the direction that yeah, you've gone. Sure. And, and I can, I can see why it might rub some people the wrong way. Like, you know, like I love Tom, like I love your conversation with Tom, but it's clear yeah. like he doesn't, there's, there's like a mental block there between the way you guys think. And that's not bad. You know, it's actually, can some people call it block. Others call it retardation. We, we get, we get in <laughs> trouble in the past for using the word um, retarded, but that I think that you're, I think that's what you're talking about with Tom. Is that, Exactly. I mean, not to put no, words no. in your mouth, Scott. But it's, it's... <laughs> no, no, he's definitely not retarded. Um, okay. I, uh, but I, you know, but I can see like I can see his frustration and where he's coming from, and I and I feel like I agree. I'll, like I'm not locked up with where, where you've gone, right? Like I, I think you're like you're a little maybe too much into the mysticism for me, but I like it. Though. I like I can I I I would identify more with where you are now. Like uh -huh. you know, and I think in a recent podcast you talked about how you're able to look at things and, and you're able to look at this coronavirus as like a, like a, I don't know, you're able to see like the good in it, you know, and you're kind of, at, <laughs> yeah, you're you kind want of to at, see the good in the virus. Like you're at peace, you know, there's, there's good coming out yeah. of it. I don't know. Like you're not like, you're not yeah. afraid of it. I can't remember exactly, but I just remember thinking like, I bet that's offensive to a lot of people, but I totally agree. You know, um, like I feel like you can see the good in, even in the bad things. And, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, so I, I mean, like even even though the you know like this lockdown that everybody's been quarantined for the last two and a half three weeks, it's kind of exciting to me in a way. Um, right. Like I, I and and even though like the impact that it's going to have on the economy and you know like the, the what the rest of this year twenty twenty is like the impact it has going forward is really unknown and uncertain. But there's there's something about that that. I'm really curious to see what happens. And I do feel like it's bringing out a, a lot of really positive qualities in people. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I don't know, I, I, I think it's going to be transformative of the way that um, our society looks at our priorities and our values and, you know, like 
do we want to have more socialized medicine? Do we want to have, you know, like, what, what are we going to do in our politics? What, what are we going to do going forward? Uh, you know, what lessons will we have learned from this experience? I, I'm, I'm really excited and kind of curious about it, even though, you know, like people dying and getting sick, that's not great, but. Right. But I like the yeah. perspective of like, it's going it, to, whatever happens is going to happen. And, and yeah. you, you can either be afraid of it or you can accept it. Like it's all part of life yeah. and you can, and kind of like embrace it, I guess. You know what I mean? I don't know. I know a lot of yeah. people are going to be offended from that sentiment, but um, anyway. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So, so, so you're, you're not lockstep in uh, <laughs> that. You think I'm a little bit too far in the mysticism and stuff. That's Perhaps. Awesome. Perhaps. So, so let's, let's turn to this first uh, pondering question. And you said um, the basic dichotomy is between spiritual life and physical life, which are essentially opposites of each other. And uh, well, we'll talk about that. Independence is the hallmark of physical life. So the more we are independent, the more virtue we have in an Aristotelian, Aristotelian sense. You're going to have to explain that to me. Boundary, this is also a hallmark of physical life and comes in contrast with spiritual life. Without boundaries, we physically die from social boundaries all the way down to the membrane wall of our cells. This is not a feature of spiritual life. When these boundaries dissolve, we go back to being one. All right, tell me, tell me about this, Scott. What is this? What is this comment? This basic dichotomy between spiritual life and physical life that you've been pondering? Because it's okay, fascinating. So, okay, so since I've had my kind of faith crisis or transition or whatever, mm-hmm. I've really like sat down. I've tried to like figure out what is life, yeah. <laughs> you know, like what is it, you know? And and I've uh, and I I'm like an armchair philosopher. I think I don't I can't remember certain philosophers, um, uh, but I listen to a lot of podcasts about philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but I tried to figure out like, you know, and, and, and this is just my ideas. I don't have any evidence or any real strong, um, support for it, but it just kind of makes sense to me. There's an instinct I have about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that there's a physical world and I think that there's a metaphysical world. Right. Um, and, and I would call that like a spiritual world. I just, I just, I mean, and trying to understand what animates life, it's so fun to think about life and to yeah. think about how we came about. Why, why do you think that they're separate things and that they're opposites from each other? Okay, that's a good question. I mean, so I just try to think like I can, I can, I can accept or I can understand that there's physical objects, right? There's like physical things. Yeah. Okay? But yeah. what, what, but then in my mind, there's like an energy and, and like literally like electricity, for instance, right? Or yeah. fire, you know, like. Yeah. And then, and then aside from that, we have like our lives, like people, like living people and living things. And I think that we all, all these things I just talked about, you know, from, um, you know, from physical objects to the energy, there's a spectrum there, but I think that maybe on either end of the spectrum, there's an, an I'm kind of just like talking out of my head right now, but, sure. um, it just seems like there's, there's that, that energy had to come from somewhere. And I think it, and I think it's going somewhere. So like our life energy, you know what I mean? Like, like our conscience, I guess. Um, and, and I don't know if it's just growing up in the Mormon worldview, you know, and having that, um, the yeah. idea of a pre earth, a pre mortal life and, and stuff like that. But it, there's just, it just makes sense to me that we all, that, that, I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining myself. No, I, I, I remember the primary lesson uh, very, very well when they stood up in front 
and they had a glove and a hand and they said the glove is your physical body and the hand is your spiritual body and when you die and then they took the glove off the hand you know and they you can bury it in the ground but your spirit goes on and you know so so this this idea of um a, a dichotomy between material and spiritual would uh, definitely really strong uh in in mormon cosmology even I think beyond Mormonism, it's it's a it's a really big dichotomy. But I, like where I am now, I don't see them as two separate things. Although, let me you just gave me an idea. Can I expand on what you just said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the hand and the glove thing, right? So that's yeah. that's that's always bothered me because and I remember mm -hmm. talking to my friend when I was a teen uh, in, in teachers corn, you know, talking about how like like why would your hand, why would your spiritual hand be the same shape as your body? You know, like <laughs> right, yeah. whenever, whenever anyone sees a spirit, they always see like a body they, and they talk uh -huh. and, and, and it was just like, like if you had a spirit and it was the same thing as your physical body, except for you could like fly through walls, <laughs> you know, like yeah. why would you want a physical body? And, um, because heavenly father has one. Yeah. And he's, const he's constrained by it, I guess. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but I, uh, and I think to me, that's why I like the idea of, of the, of their, the dichotomy because so i, I kind of reject the idea that like our spiritual bodies are like our bodies right but i do feel like there is a spiritual body but it, it what well, why would our spiritual body are are have anything any resemblance to our physical body i mean that's the whole reason we have a physical body because yeah. in my mind it's a completely different than the spiritual experience um and so yeah i i, I mean i i that, that's another reason why i kind of reject the idea as well i mean i like when i think about energy like you, you talked about energy and you kind of put energy on the spiritual side rather than on the physical side. But there's, there's energy that is inside of every cell of our body, inside of every atom, like the subatomic energy that we have when, when theoretical physicists are talking about the quantum realm and things like that, you know, like what would you, right. would you call that physical or would you call that spiritual? That's a good, that's a good point. I like that. Um, I see, I guess in my, like I say, there's this dichotomy and they're different, but they are also intertwined. Right. And so it's um, an expression of, of, you know, like the, the physical, the physical world that we're in and experiencing is that energetic world that is filtered through our senses that, you know, have evolved to see a certain range of light or hear a certain range of sound or, right. you know, we, we're sensitive to certain feelings or smells or tastes, you know, like, but the, that energetic, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? The, the energy that makes us up and everything around us, it's not different from us. It, it's, it is doing us. us. It's making us, we right, are, it. Right. it is us. And it, yeah. like there's, a, there's these processes and, you know, you talk about consciousness and, like what we understand of consciousness, I think, is is a result of the, our biology, you know, our nervous system and our our awareness of of the senses around us. So, so the the idea that it's a dichotomy, I I think I put that away a while ago, and I just see see it all as an extension of the same thing. But what you said about boundaries here was really really interesting. Okay like independence and boundaries. So like, how, how do you, how do you fit that in like this idea of independence? See, so that's why, it, that's why I talk in terms of spirituality versus physical. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it is all connected. Okay. And so, um, but I think that like 
one hallmark, and like I say in my email, like one hallmark of, of this physical experience, this physical life or whatever, is that there's boundaries around us. And I remember um, hearing this Jewish uh, proverb or something like that, where it talks about, you know, um, what is, what's, if God has all, I'm, I'm really destroying this, but like, if God has everything, if he has no, if he can do anything, he's unlimited. What's his, what's his only, um, okay. The point is he has, he, he doesn't have limits and that, and that actually limits him. He's everywhere and all, and in all things, but he doesn't have any limitations. And so he doesn't really exist. Does that make sense? So that's kind of like how I feel like we are as a, as, as a, all of us, when I say we, I mean everything, all of existence, right? Without these physical boundaries, we just don't exist in the physical space. And, and that's why I like the idea of, you know, we came in this economy idea. Um, but yeah. we, you know, we come from a spiritual place. We come to this physical place. We have these boundaries. But when these boundaries are gone, we go back to that spiritual place. Or, or in my mind, it's more like the boundaries just dissolve when we're here, right? So the spiritual stuff's always around us everywhere. Yeah. It, it permeates everything. And one thing I thought that you might find interesting um, as I've kind of changed my views on God and, and things um, when I, I still pray, um, and I still have, um, and I, and this is where I kind of come your way a little bit, probably on a little bit on the mysticism type stuff, but like the secret type stuff, you know, it's like where, um, I love, I love your idea of cognitive bias and how like you can kind of direct your life just by what you're thinking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and not like it's a supernatural ability or anything. It's just kind of like when you focus on those things, they just come up in your life because you're seeing them. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was thinking about, you know, when I pray now, I think, you know, I used to really strongly think of like, you know, think of myself like bow before a man in a white robe, you know, God. Right. Um, but now more when I pray, like I'm praying and I, and I close my eyes and I can kind of feel like the energy coming from everywhere mm -hmm. and, and pushing me along to the goals that I want. That's cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, like, and so like, like, I feel like that spiritual energy is everywhere. And in yeah. all of us, yeah. And and but for our boundaries, so like I said in there, like even down to our cell walls, um, we would be we would be that spiritual energy. I guess we are, but we have right now we're encapsulated in the boundaries, these limitations, and and without those boundaries, limitations, we just go back to being everything. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. No, I, I had I had this this thought um, a couple of weeks. No, no, no. It was within the last week. It was a couple of days ago. Um, let me see if I can remember how it came up. I, I, I was thinking about people in relationships and how like uh, to be in an ideal relationship, you would want to have things in common with, with somebody. And, and like the more things that you have in common with them, the better you get along where like when you want to have sex, they want to have sex. When, right. <laughs> when you want to watch a, a certain show, they want to watch a certain show. When you want to go for a walk, they want to go for a walk. When they want to eat something, you want to eat the exact same thing and that like the, the more common it is the better the relationship would be but then i took it like even further i'm like but at some point when it get boring yeah because you're just it's just the same and like if if you if you move two inches to the right and then they they move two inches to the right and you're always like perfectly um synchronistic then you're never actually coming into contact and so then, then I started thinking about like the energy <laughs> that, that is that is us, and what would that be like at an energetic level? If energy, all these waves of vibrations that we're in, never touched, never interacted, and it just always was, you know, like perfectly synchronized. And and I thought, you know, then you, then you wouldn't have 
what you're calling boundaries here. You wouldn't have like membranes on a, on a cell. You wouldn't have whatever holds an atom together, all of these different, different forces. And so that scripture that says there must needs be opposition in all things. <laughs> um, I started thinking about, you, you've got to have conflict. There has to be conflict. There has to be interaction. There has to be touching. Um, there has to be differences in order for there to be anything. Otherwise, it's just like this uh, boring oneness. Um, so uh, just as a theoretical concept, I think I understand where you're coming. That, that's what came up to me as I read what you were saying here about these boundaries mm -hmm. and whether they're social boundaries or they're physical biological boundaries like the membranes of a cell wall. Um, and that when they dissolve, we go back to being one, except although you, you recognize, but even the boundaries are made out of that energy. And so the, it's all still yeah. one and it just, it doesn't seem like, or it doesn't feel like, or we don't experience it like that. We experience it from our segmented, limited, our individual our individuality yeah. that's and yeah. you know and that's um you know you brought up I, and I love I, it. Let, let, let me let me say something about that scott sure. because what that does and i've got tom in my head right now going so what what is what is that what is thinking like that help anything at all this whole hippy dippy you know what if we're all in this soup of energy and vibrations and all that shit what if it doesn't do us a damn bit of good <laughs> Like, but then, then what? What does that do? What does that mean? All right, all right, calm, calm down, Tom. <laughs> but where it helps, and kind of going back to some of the conversations we had earlier about the church, if if you if you recognize just at a fundamental level that difference is not only uh, good but it's necessary <laughs> and it's everywhere then the expectation that people are going to be exactly the same as you or even close the same as you kind of dissolves and you can like it's made me accept differences better and even if president nelson is giving a talk and he's saying three things that are lies you know like i've always i've always been more give give them the benefit of the doubt and let's not call it lies you know like who do we know that he knows the truth i don't know what they are but it it just it makes it makes those differences of, you know, oh, how could they believe that the Book of Mormon is true when it's so clearly not? It kind of makes me go, ah, well, of course people are going to see things differently. And of course, in, in, the, in the, the spectrum of differences that people are going to see, some are going to be really different from me. Some are going to be only somewhat different from me. And mine is different from them. And so like, you want to get into the Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, what is truth? Like, how, how is somebody going to understand, like, the one true tr truth when nobody is able to see everything? You know, mm -hmm. we're all seeing through our limitations and through these, these boundaries. And stuff. So, so that, that really helps me um, not get so bent out of shape when there are differences, um, even though sometimes those differences can be really egregious. But. Yeah, that is... That's a good point. I like in a recent podcast, you talked about, um, you talked about people having issues with their spouses. Yeah. Um, and, and you said something like, if you could see your spouse as you, as an extension of you, uh, yeah, just doing things a little differently. Yeah. Right. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. and it is, and it's funny cause it helps to, I, you know, to your Tom voice, you know, it, it helps me <laughs> to like, you know, kind of, 
accept things and get some peace. And I think that um, overall though, I mean, I kind of get, I get where Tom is coming from in that, from that perspective, you know, of like, what's the use of this thinking about this stuff. And, um, uh, but I, I think I, for me personally, it's like, I just, I can't help but think about it. You know, I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to understand as much as I can. Unfortunately, I think, I think you're right that I don't know that we can ever understand it. Right. Like I think, um, yeah. we're just not made to, you know, we're made to, I love how you make reference, you know, you, Yuval Harari and his, yeah. I love that book, Sapiens and, and his other two books. But I mean, that's what we, that's what we are. We're a product of all this. And so how are we, I mean, we can't even see atoms. We understand the idea of atoms and we, and we can think about them theoretically, but we, we yeah. are, we cannot perceive atoms. You know, we can't perceive physics even, you know, like we, we have theories and ideas right. that describe it. Right. But like our brains don't come, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, like sure. I can see like a red apple. Right. But I can't see, you know, um, well, that, that's why that, that Ted talk from David Eagleton. And I, I, I played a little clip of it on a recent, I on a couple of them where he's talking about the umwelt. He's talking about this very narrow range of vibrations that we're able to perceive, whether it's through a, you know, our, our eyes or our hearing or whatever. And it, you know, like, I think he said this like one ten trillionth of something like right, a yeah, percentage of what's out there, but but even then, how do you know how far it goes in either direction on that spectrum? Like it, it probably stretches out towards infinity. You know, like we, we used to think that the atom was the smallest thing. And then, oh, no, there's actually quarks and there's this whole quantum realm. And we're still figuring out about that. So when we know about that more, are we going to find that there's still things smaller than the, the quanta and still things smaller than that? And, and then on the macro side, there's things that are larger, you know, so what we're able to perceive of what's real is such a small fraction. And that's just us who have evolved to this point on this planet at this time period. What, what, what else has been going on in this big, great, vast universe that right. has similar laws of, of, of life that we have here, you know? So yeah, it, th those are all really interesting questions to me. Right. <laughs> So you just got me thinking a little bit. Maybe my dichotomy is is off with the spiritual versus physical. Maybe it's more of an infinite versus limited dichotomy. Because, you know, when you talked about the trillions of, you know, we only see this tiny sliver, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the only reason why we perceive that tiny sliver is because of our, our limitations, right? Yeah. With, our, our, with our limitations, we don't even see that. You know, we would see either nothing or everything, like I kind of think. And I, maybe we're just a reality looking at it itself, you know, and without yeah. without these limitations, I don't know. I just, so one thing I kind of, I really like about the church is eternal families and eternal life, you know, and I don't like how the church holds your family at ransom, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but I, I do believe um, that is as true as, you know, it, I have this instinctual feeling about it and I, and I, and I hope for it, you know, and I, and, and I, I hope that it is like a true concept that, and so to me, this is the most, this, this is the way that I kind of right, right now make sense of it is just that, you know, when we're all, when, when these limitations, when we lose these limitations, we go back together. And I think, and I don't like, and I kind of get this later on in my email, but you know, I like, I think that it's all for something, you know, it's not just to, you know, it's ephemeral, you know, wisp in the air, you know, like when we die, we're gone, you know, and, and cause I, I, I think people do get scared or are worried. Like I've got, I've had this scare, this feeling of like, well, I don't want to die. And then I get absorbed into this big, omnipresent thing and I lose myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
like I lose what it's like I really am dead <laughs> you know yeah. like I don't exist anymore I do think that there is some there's a reason for this like we we had these experiences so we had like in my theory we gain this independence while we're here in this physical slash limited you know uh, existence um, but I think we do I don't know man I think that we keep some of it you know yeah that, like our parents like my parents my mom has passed away you know she's she's somewhere you know what I mean and um and like I have a son who passed away and mm. he's somewhere yeah yeah I'm sorry about that there's a I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Tom and I were, were we were going to record something about this once, and it just never happened. There's a there, there's a channeled book called Seth Speaks that was written, I think, late '60s, early '70s. A woman named Jane Roberts who was channeling, you know, put that in quotes if you want to. This this um, energy named Seth who had been reincarnated many, many, many times and was saying, here's what, here's what life is like on the other side. Um, if you go to YouTube and you type in Seth Speaks, there's an audio book version that's there that's about 10 hours long. And uh, is it good? I, Should I, listen to it? I listen to it all the time. It's, really? just, it's just interesting. Like the, 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 if, if you're interested in this kind of thing, like I am, and it sounds like you are, even if it's just a thought experiment, we're, we're, even if it's just science fiction or fantasy that we're playing around with, these ideas that are in that Seth Speaks book are really, really cool. Really, there's there's cool. some that are kind of far out there. But, but, you know, so like the idea of a personality that exists uh, beyond death is more like and this isn't how it says it, but this is how I interpret the way that, that the Speak says it. It's kind of like a computer program that um, you would always know the code for Scott or always know the code for Glenn and every experience that I ever had in my life. And that code exists in the great database of all things, <laughs> you know, like, like the, 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 the worldwide internet that's in the cloud that, uh, records everything that ever has been and ever was because it's being created out of this material that it is and it, it records those experiences that that idea is really really interesting to me so that at any time after death um, in, in in this oneness or pure positive energy or whatever you want to call it you could conjure up that computer program and go okay I'm going to I'm going to take this form or I'm going to take this form or I'm going to remember these experiences or I'm going to go back and relive this life as if I'm going into some kind of uh, virtual reality game. And I, I want to try that. I want to, I want to try this differently. What would happen if I made this decision? What, what would happen if I did this differently? And you always get to have those kinds of experiences because it's, it is like a virtual reality simulation that's uh, organic and, biological and it's not a, a separation between spirituality and physical but it's all connected <laughs> just ideas that are in there that um this book seth speaks that are really really interesting so, that's cool i'll take i'll listen to it for sure thanks well let's, let's go to number two because we spent a long time on on number one and there's five of them <laughs> so okay. number two is uh spiritual life is more about oneness at death we go back to everything and become one the ultimate atonement or at one man uh -huh. this is god and us all wrongs are righted 
we experience everything with everyone, this life without our physical boundaries. We feel everyone's pain perfectly. When we take the physical nature of life away, genes, circumstances, those Pavlovian impulses that you talked about in the most recent podcast, etc., we have a perfect understanding, compassion, and love. And on the other end, we experience all of our joy together perfectly. Justice, and more importantly, understanding is found in atonement. All right, so talk about that, Scott. You, you uh, recently you brought up the the idea of like why why does it matter to you if some guy in Syria two thousand years ago murdered his neighbor? Oh yeah, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 I really I get that, and and I like I. I, don't know, I just like the idea that we're really fixated on justice right now, almost as a, out of a need of like, we have to, in order to survive, we need a society where we like, you know, hold each other accountable. Right. And mm-hmm. otherwise we'd evolve into chaos. And, and, um, and so, but I like, I think that like in the grander scope, I like that idea more of like our limited view of justice is so small. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and I think in, in this, this kind of, new religion that I'm peddling <laughs> you right. know, that, that the idea more is to understand each other and to share each other's pain and, yeah. and each other's joy as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that murderer who, the guy who murdered someone 2000 years ago in Syria, like we'll understand and not to justify that, that heinous act or anything like that, but we'll, we'll understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you know, I'm thinking of Sam Harris here for a second about how he doesn't really think there's free will. Right. Because, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that guy, he's a product of his environment. He has, you know, his genes are telling him to do this or that his society is telling him to do this or that he really didn't have a choice in, um, or, and, and, and regardless, he only had so many options in front of him. And one of the options was murder. Right. So he, he didn't have free will to do that. I kind of subscribe to that a little bit. Mm. Um, uh, but, um, but I think, I think that, you know, in the end, when we, when we have that oneness, like, we won't be like, Oh, that guy needs to go burn hell. You know what I mean? We'll Mm. even, we'll just understand it. You know what I mean? And we'll, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, the idea of free will and I, I spend a little bit of time listening to Sam Harris talk about it. It always, it always rubbed me the wrong way because I, of course people are products of their environment and there's only a certain number of choices that you can, you can choose from. But, but when he talks about that, there's, that you don't really have a choice, but you do. Like what he's saying is there's just a limited number of choices to choose from, not that it's completely free and open, but um, I've heard the term bound will instead of free will, that that, that your your will exists, but it's bound by certain, um, you know, limitations on on any side. Uh, I I, I like that better, but because I just never, I never liked the idea that uh, you couldn't choose. You couldn't make a choice between one thing or another. It's just right. like well, determined or predetermined or determined by your biology or your environment or things like that. I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Sam does, I think, have too broad of a, you know, because basically he, what he describes, in order to have free will, you have to have complete control over everything and have all options in front of you, yeah. which which I realized, and I, I I know that this will trigger a lot of people that watch you probably, but you know, in, in a conversation he had with Ben Shapiro, um, he, you know, Ben Shapiro, that's how he describes God is the person that has all options in front of him and can do whatever he wants basically. And, and I thought that was funny that it was, just, it was an interesting parallel where Sam is saying like, you have to be God. And he wasn't saying this, but you know, in take in combining those two, 
like basically you'd have to be God to have free will, yeah. you know? And yeah, I don't like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that there's, I like that bound will idea and that kind of fits in with my whole boundary thing, I guess. Yeah, but, I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, so w- one of the, one of the books that I started reading in January was a, a course in miracles. And I, I've talked about that a little bit on the podcast too. It's, I, I can't, I don't know. I think it's interesting and it, it's worth looking into if you're interested in, in those kinds of things, but it course in miracles defines the atonement kind of the way that you talked about it here, that, that atonement is the returning of everything to that um, energetic oneness state. And that that actually is where everybody is right now, but we have these illusions of separateness um, that we have to contend with and, you know, re- recognizing that it is, I mean, I, I, and, and I have a hard time even thinking of it as an illusion. Cause I think that, that that's a little bit too black and white cause it's real. I mean, the world that we live in is, is real. The consequences of right. stepping in front of a bus are very real. <laughs> it's not an illusion. The bus isn't just going to go through you. Um, but, but, of course, miracle says that atonement is the recognition that we're all one and not being afraid of the thing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, please. Can okay. I express my, my inner Tom voice? Oh, go. Cause I think that I could see him being upset with the idea of like, okay, fine guys. Like, so we're just going to let everyone not be punished. Like that, that's the result of, you know, like a, like a moral code or a societal code based on what we're talking about is mm-hmm. there's no accountability because, Hey, we should just understand. We should just, you know, be at one with each other. Right. So a murderer, we could just understand him and not have to throw him in jail, you know, mm-hmm. or punish him. You know, we should all just be at one. I can kind of see that being a critique of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and that's maybe a danger perhaps of, going down this line of thought i I guess i you know what i mean like i don't know i don't understand though why it comes up that way because it's uh, you know like if if and i and i I think i've mentioned this to tom before as well but if if your main concern is that you you the reason you want justice is because you want peace then you're going to be motivated to do things that create peace so why wouldn't you put laws in society where if somebody disrupts the peace, you would try to minimize it by creating peace and, you know, like lock them up if they're murdering people or if they're stealing, you know, like what, why do you think that accepting the oneness of everybody would then mean, well, whatever anybody does is okay. Then like, I I don't understand that. That's quite a leap to me. I like that explanation that you had. That's good. You know, like why, um, that you would still have laws in place, right? That what? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I don't know. Yeah. I. I. But even now, why, why but, wouldn't justice still be important? You know, like like you're trying to get rid of justice. How? Why? I don't. I, like saying that everybody is a, a different expression of a sim, of a single oneness. Right. Um, and that then we're just going to accept anything that everybody does. Yeah, it's a stretch. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like that retort because because even in like yeah, like the inner Tom voice comes into my mind, right? Of like this is Tom's going to hate this listening back to it. He's going to be like, <laughs> "You're talking about me, and I don't even have a chance to to speak for myself." Well, Tom, love you, Tom. Anyway, love you, Tom. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying it's a bad voice either. You know, I just it, yeah. I can I it's natural. It's a it's a, a thought that's occurring to me naturally. Um, yeah. So, 
Um, but I, I agree that, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to throw out the kid, the, you know, the, you're going to say baby with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah, like, like I don't want to say baby with the bathwater, but you stopped. <laughs> exactly. I know, I know that. Uh, All right. Number three for you here. Um, what does this experience look like without a brain or physical aspects without our individual, without our individuality, without time? Oh yeah. I think time is probably another physical life boundary. I don't know. And maybe we don't fully appreciate whatever that is without having this physical experience to weigh and contrast it against. Maybe our experiences are nothing more than a fleeting match lit by God slash us to burn brightly, but then fade out. But I think hope the experience is retained. So this kind of talks to like, I'm irritated with the, and maybe not just LDS, but just the idea that like our spiritual bodies are essentially us. <laughs> you know, without yeah. like, cause I, the like, hand in the glove. Exactly. Like, again. yeah, like we have love, like we, like everything we do in this life is because of our physical bodies, right? Like the way we think, yeah. you know, the way, the way that we want sex, the way that we want food, you know, even our interpersonal relationships, it's all based on the idea that we are housed in this physical encasing, you know? And if you take that away, when the, then why would we have those same instincts? You know, it just yeah. bothers me that it was always bothered me about the church and about the, the idea that, you know, it's just basically, we're just an upgrade from like physical life is just an upgrade from the spiritual life. And I feel like they're wholly different. You know, that's my point is that they're not, um, they are quantitatively, you know, it's not, a de- it's not a matter of degrees, right? Yeah. Like this is just, you know, a little bit better than that. No, they're like to, they're completely different. And I don't know what that experience is like. And I think that that's, I don't know that we can know. Well, no, you know what I, I don't. Mean? Yeah, I don't think there's any way to know. You know, so even, even the way that you phrased the question, "What does this experience look like exactly. without our brain or physical?" You're using "look" as if exactly you would have your eyes to perceive it. You know. Yeah. What, so that so like when people talk about we saw Heavenly Father's body, right? Yeah, like right. his physical body. Well, how did we see it? <laughs> like we didn't have eyes. You know, like we didn't have brain to. to to see it, you know, anyway, sorry. But yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and when, and when we recognize that, that these sensory organs that we do have only pick up a very small fraction of what's out there anyway, like why would we think that we could explain it or, or why would we think that life evolving under different, like on an, on another planet, that's different distance to the sun different right. gravitation, you know, like Star Trek does a really good job in Star Wars, a little bit of exploring, you know, like what would, what would other life forms look like that evolved in other places in, in the universe, you know, but why, why do we think that this bipedal sapiens form is the ultimate hand over which a glove is put, you know? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or, 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 or what is experience when you're experiencing things outside of these sensory organs i think that's what you're asking here yeah 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 i don't think there's any way you know like everything that we're doing right now is based on the things that we know and experience and that's why we project that god created us in his image when really we're the ones that are creating god in our image with our our limited way of trying to imagine something that's really Mm -hmm. unimaginable for us yeah we conjure up these kingdoms that, you know, make sense in like a fantasy novel. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Alan, Alan Watts has been really influential um, to me. And, and, and he's got a, if, if you, if you have an audible account um, and you're looking for an Alan Watts book, <laughs> I would recommend out of 
uh, what is it? It's out of, out of my mind. mind. Yeah, out of my mind. Yeah, with these different lectures. I've heard clips of it. It's good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And, and like the first several lectures that he have, he talks about the way that the idea of God evolved through our culture and, and was really borrowed from Mesopotamian monarchy um, mm -hmm. and like Egyptian monarchy. And so there, there was this idea, he calls it, I think the, the, the potters or the, I, I forget the model that, that he uses, but basically that there's a, a potter who, who creates uh, pots out of clay. And that's what God is that, you know, shapes and, and forms man out of clay. Like you've got the stories in the Bible and he's in charge. He's calling the shots. He's, he's the monarch, the one that's in charge of everything. And, and in Western culture, at least um, Judeo-Christian, that became the predominant way of understanding God. And then when, you know, for, for political reasons, atheism came along, they, they say, well, we're going to, take this model but we're going to take the god out of it and still have it be like the fully automatic model of the universe that there's still these laws that govern everything and everything is basically a machine but there just isn't a creator and that's kind of the worldview that we're in right now where you know you, you think that you could take apart the human body and put in replacement parts the way that you would the engine of a car or something like that that were just machines that grew out of, out of, out of nature. And that's not the way that, uh, Eastern, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism sees God or human nature. You know, it, it's the way that we do in the West because we've had these really influential worldviews on us. It's fascinating to, to yeah. think about stuff like that and, and to recognize, okay, well that's, and, and, and going back to what you said before about thoughts shaping reality to a certain degree, that's how, I understand it, where we've got a certain worldview, certain expectations of, of what what this world looks like to us um, that have a huge impact on our experience of it. Um, so yeah, I, maybe like you said, maybe our experiences are nothing more than a fleeting match lit by God or us to burn brightly and then fade out. Um, I, I think undeniably that's what it is. And in the grand scheme, the, the, the eternal scheme of things, the experience that we have is even different than the experience than um, like butterflies have or shrimp have, that they have different numbers of cones in their eyes. So they see a different spectrum of light and they see colors that we can't see. Right. Um, that's a different experience than what we have. So, Yeah. Anything more on that, Scott? Well, it's, you reminded me a little bit of um, Yuval Harari. That's one of the things I loved about the Sapiens book is how he explains the idea that um, I think he did a whole podcast about the imagination and how we all like are playing make-believe in society. Right. Yeah. And, and I think religion served a really good, a really good purpose yeah. in helping us develop that idea that we can all play pretend together. Yeah. Um, and that reminds me of like uh, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris as well. And that's one thing I really appreciate appreciate about Jordan Peterson is that he sees the limitations of religion yeah. and he, but he appreciates what religion does. And like yeah. the, and whereas the thing I don't love about Sam Harris and I love both of them, honestly, I think they're both sure. great. Um, but the thing I, Sam like hates religion, right. And he thinks it should just go away. And I mm. totally get that now <laughs> more because of how I feel with the church. But you know, here's, here's kind of an issue that I have with Sam Harris's hatred of religion. And really, I mean, a lot of people who feel the same way that he does. It's like 
um, you go, okay, well, religion causes harm. And I can show you all of these examples of where religion causes you harm. And so we should just do away with religion because then we'll get rid of that, that harm that it does. It's like saying um, there are people who die from food poisoning. And so we should just get rid of food. Like I can show you all of the all of these places where food is really, really... Um, bad for people. It kills people. It makes them really sick. And there's just poison. We should just get rid of food altogether and go to like, we, we have such technology these days. We could just go to like macronutrients and vitamins and things like that and take supplements instead of having food. Let's just do away with food, do away with meals, do away with cooking, do away with all this stuff. It's like, but that people live for food. <laughs> it, it has so much more meaning than just the nourishment. And I think religion is like that too. It just has so much meaning in people's lives that trying to do away with the whole thing because of the bad apples just, you know. Um, but I, you know, I like the, I like the idea that we're, it's just fun to think about. Yeah. How did this all come about? You know, you know, I, I really liked those, those debates that Peterson and, and Harris had and I, I, I didn't, I, I haven't really been following either one of them for the past couple of years. So I don't know if there's anything new that's come up, but, but I love how Jordan Peterson was really able to distill Sam Harris's hatred of religion down to a hatred of dogma. Yeah. See, see it's not really religion that you're against. It's dogma that you're against. But I, and, and I think that like with, with Sam Harris and, and others, it gets problematic when they start looking at it as dogma instead of religion, because there's dogmas that are in the scientific worldview as well. Right. And not inherently bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're whether they're bad or not, they're just limiting and it, it's, it, it's going to feed your confirmation bias. If these are the expectations that you have. Um, and, and if it's dogmatic, then you're not really open to evidence that, shows you that it's something different than what you already think that it is. That's, that's the thing that I, I think is the most insidious about religion um, when, when it goes into dogma, but, but anything that goes into dogma is like that. Yeah. So. All right. Number four for you. <clears throat> Does this set forth a moral code? Try and be as one now, the spiritual aspect, while maintaining your own individualism, the physical aspect. Oneness leads to harmony while our individuality is the gift of physical life. Right, what, what do you mean by this, Scott, with the, the moral code question? Well, you know, I was talking about this with some friends and it just, and I, I guess this is kind of to address the inner Tom voice. Like, what's the point? You know, what's yeah. the point of all this anyway? Um, and I think that, um, that you can come up, like it, it can direct you how you act, right? Mm -hmm. It can change, it, it, it can affect your behavior if you think in these terms. Like I said, I'm not like, trying to really preach anything. I'm just kind of doing thought experiments out loud. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, if, if you believe that you're all one and I've actually thought about this a lot recently, cause I've, you know, I've, as I've like tried to, who am I, like what, what person am I, who am I choosing to be or whatever. Right. Like, do I really believe that we're all one? Like, would that really change? Like, if I really believe that like when I die, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be at one with all the people that I'm serving in my work or offending or you know other uh, you know what i mean like like how would that change my behavior if i really mm -hmm. felt like we are all one um and i think it would if i really you know took that into my 
my heart because I'll be honest, I'm pretty self-centered and pretty selfish, you know, and, and that I, I'm that independence that we have in this, this physical limitation, whatever, you know, that's pretty governing over my mind. Right. And yeah. so, um, so I think there's a, there could be a balance there where you, you maintain your independence. Cause like I said, that's like, that's what you are here is independent. Right. And like the, the, the hallmark or the, the gift of life is this independence it being yourself. Um, but recognizing that we're all part of the same person or yeah. thing, you know, and, and I think it would change if, it, if we all felt that way. Um, or if it, even if I just felt that way, you know, it would yeah. really change how I interact with my family, other yeah. people, um, maybe laws I want passed or, you know, sure. so, um, well, I, I can just tell you from my, my limited personal experience, when I look at someone else and I think, oh, this is just a different version of me, or I am just a different version of them, or we are different versions of something <laughs> bigger than us, it really has changed um, my, my feeling towards them. Like, like I, I approach them with this sense of um, togetherness rather than separateness and, 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 and I'm genuinely curious about what are the differences between us um, and trying to do that without any kind of judgment to go, okay, well, I think this way, so I'm right. You think that way and it's different, so it's wrong. Like getting away from that, it, it helps. Um, right. I agree. Yeah. So, and I, I think even with the, this, this current pandemic that we're in, we're seeing people recognize because of this little virus. <laughs> okay. We, we're, we're all pretty similar in the way that we could be infected by this. And yeah, we might have differences in symptoms, but because um, I could get it and not even know that I have it and then pass it on to somebody that's high at risk I'm not willing to do that. So I'm going to uh, participate in this social distancing. And it's, it's an act of love, you know, to, to, to go to recognize the oneness. We're all, we're all similarly vulnerable to this threat that's out there. So let's do something where um, we, we take care of each other, even if it is by taking care of ourselves and that selfishness that you talked about before. It's one of the reasons why I feel optimistic about, the, the changes that will come as a result of what we're going through right now. So it's funny. Cause I, I just thinking about optimism and there is a certain, I feel like a certain optimism or faith that I have in thinking that we are part of something greater. I think and this is probably something religions kind of latch onto, but um, yeah. you know, that like that it is, there's, I don't know. I don't want to say there's no end, but you know, there's, there's, it's, it, there's something more, yeah. you know, and that, you know, like it is, it's going to be what it's going to be, I guess. And so I kind of fatalistic in a way, but, um, but at the same time, I I kind of have faith or something, I guess that, sure. you know, things are going to, um, they'll work out one way or the other. I don't know. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this question, Scott, and, and instead of applying it to the coronavirus, we'll apply it to your marriage. Because okay. you asked the question in this fourth part here, does this understanding set forth a moral code to try to see everyone as one while maintaining your own individualism? How, how do you do that? Like, it's, it's very important for you to keep your marriage intact 
and for you to be an individual who's honest with yourself and with your spouse about how you feel about the church. And, and you have this concern that if you're totally open and totally transparent in your individualism, that then that'll offend, hurt your wife, maybe to the point where she wouldn't want to be your wife anymore. How, how would what we're talking about here to channel our inner Tom voices help you uh, in your marriage and, and the way that you're going to navigate this with a faith crisis, this mixed faith marriage thing? Well, I think, uh, so I think about this a lot. Okay. And I think that where it helps me to think this way, it's just kind of the acceptance that it could very well end up that way. You know, it couldn't like as much as I would want to prevent, you know, um, my wife wanting to, to divorce, um, over these things, she has, she's her own independent person too. Right. And she mm -hmm. could, and that's what I, you know, that's what I'm afraid of. And that's why I don't, I'm not super open with these things because I'm afraid she'll choose that. <clears throat> and I know that I, I do think that that's not right. I think that, that it, it, it is better to be, to be open and to, to have that, I don't want to say faith, but you know, that things that however the chips fall, I'm like, I'm going to be fine, you know, and she'll be fine eventually too. And our kids will be fine. Um, but it's still scary. And I, and I would like to avoid hurt and heartache if possible, you know, at, not just mine, but hers. And, um, okay. and so, um, <clears throat> but I think that it is useful to kind of realize that, um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I guess I would ask when, do, do, are there times where you feel like you're right and she's wrong? Like just generally, or what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and especially if it's about the church, like you, you, you heard this talk from Nelson, you said there are three places where he's lying. So I'm assuming from that, you felt like, you know, you were right. You knew the truth. He was wrong. He was lying. And if your wife is siding with him instead of you, then she's choosing lies over the truth. Is, is that, did you ever feel like that? Do you ever come from that perspective? You know, I anticipate that. And, and, and in that specific conversation, she didn't really come out in favor or against. It was really nice. Actually. Yeah. She just, she let me say everything I wanted to say and she didn't, she didn't really dig in too much and she didn't, you know, make it an issue. So it was kind of nice, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but I anticipate that. Yeah. Like I have a laundry list of things where I say, you know, the church is racist. The book of Mormon is racist. Yeah. And I know she's going to take, I would, I, I anticipate that she would take offense and, at that, you know? And, um, so what if you, what if it turns out that the things that you feel like you're right about the things that you feel like are true, it's just a sliver of reality. It's, it's not all of reality. It's not completely true. It's just, it's just a small portion and it's as equally valid a portion of reality as your wife's views which are different from you and if you and right. if you started in, instead of like weighting your perspective against other perspectives and going i'm right they're wrong you know to, to be really general about it you go oh we're both equally right and both equally wrong and it's our you know it, it's this relativity thing it, it's all relative to who we are what we're seeing and none of us are seeing the, the full picture I like what you're saying, and I and I and I, I think I've thought that way. I think I think that way. the The problem arises though is that when her, because of her, the rigid her rigid beliefs, you know, she may not be able to have this kind of a similar enlightened view. You know, when she looks at Scott's views, and and her rigid set of beliefs say that Scott's views can't be in this house, mm -hmm. can't be around the kids. Yeah. You know, and or 
and and so I'm I'm kind of so, resigned. So, so well, I, I can't I can't go on any further, Scott. When you're you're saying that yours yours is the enlightened views and and hers is not the enlightened view. Um, I'm just I, enlightened was in air quotes, but like I don't know okay. that she's gonna have <laughs> I don't think that she's gonna have that generosity towards my views. If if yeah. she, I mean, really, okay. if she if she holds to the church's views, she won't, <laughs> right? Like like I right. will be considered a a wolf in the house. You know what I so, mean? Like so so then what? If, if you're, we're, we're going into rigidity and that dogma thing again, where you see that that's the enemy. And if, if it's her that is being rigid and dogmatic, you don't have any control over that. So, right. so what, what can you do to create that space and hold her where she is because you love her and you don't want to let that go? So I've, I've come to the point where um, I'm open to staying in the church. Okay. And yeah. like, and continuing forward. Yeah. Um, if she, you, you know, and I don't, and I've, I've listened to enough of stories about like, I don't want to try and deconvert her or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I want her to come to these things on her own. Um, and in the meantime, but I do, I do feel like I need to be honest with how I feel as well. You yeah. know, I, I, it's a hard balance, right? Yeah. Cause I feel like that honesty. So like in my mind, like theoretically, I, I could see us, you know, me telling her not everything because I don't want to, you know, try and make prove I'm right, you know, but just how I feel at least. And then, um, and then basically living in the church in kind of a charade, you know, um, you know, and so that she can maintain her life, what she expects, what she's had and what she expects to have. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would hope that at some point though, that she would come around at least to, if not embrace how I feel, but understand it enough that she wouldn't want me to, to be that charade, but she yeah. would still want to have our family. You know what I mean? Can, can you foresee um, a relationship where, uh, you're fully open with what you believe. She's fully open with what she believes. You guys don't believe the same thing, but you both respect each other um, for what you believe and the things that you have in common, like we're going to have a family that um, we're honest with each other. We do good in society. You know, like we, we love other people, you know, <laughs> like, like you take some of these values, like the values of charity that's long suffering and, seek it's not her own and, and you know that 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 whole thing about charity and, and what is that Moroni seven and you say these are our values whether you believe in the book of mormon or not these are our values and this is what we're going to focus on could, could you envision a relationship like that with your wife um yeah i mean i i, I actually i thought you know i have several friends in the same boat and yeah. and some of them have like kind of come out to their wives and they haven't been divorced or anything like that but yeah. it, sometimes what they describe is sounds like hell <laughs> in their yeah. house sure um but i do think you know i've thought about how that would be with my wife and it's kind of funny because we are we're we're mormons and we go yeah. to church and everything but like honestly the church is not a huge aspect of our lives like you know like and i think it might be a lot because of the, over the last like 5 years i've really kind of detached myself from it you know yeah. Um, but I don't think like in practicality, it wouldn't make a huge difference to us. Um, you know, so I do think that there is, a, there is room for that. I love the idea. I wish this is kind of a tangent, sorry, but you sorry. got me thinking about it. Um, I love the idea of like a Mormons, like I would love to stay being a Mormon, but just be able to say truth, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just to say like, you know, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like kind of like how I've heard people say things. So, you know, like there's different, there's a spectrum of Jewish believers, right? Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Very, very Orthodox. But then you have people who were, they're Jews because that's who they are, yeah. but they don't, but they're also, you know, you know, 
yeah. I don't know. I don't want to say atheistic, but you know what I mean? Like they, yeah. uh, and I wish that like we could, but it's so hard when you go to church yeah. and you have entire lessons on obedience, you know, yeah. and entire, le- and how, and it's not even obedience. Like it, obedience is the highest virtue and obedience isn't a virtue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you can be obedient to horrible ideas. Right. Um, and uh, it doesn't say that you're a good person. Yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of a tangent, but um, I like what you're, yeah, but it's related because, you know, we, we, you talked earlier about Yuval Harari and, and the value that he placed on fictions. You, you said that, that like societies are playing make-believe, they're playing pretend. And you have that like very strongly going on with the Mormon church. You know, you've got this Mormon worldview with these Mormon values and the whole function, the whole purpose of, of these church meetings is to reinforce that over and over and over and over right. and over and over and over again. Um, and, and, you know, but it, it, it is a, it is a fiction, but it's a very real fiction that has these impacts when people are buying into it as, yeah. like, but this is, this is how I'm going to live my life. And if you are going to threaten that or challenge it, then you're going to be pushed out of the group. And I, I think that's where the, the challenge is when somebody like myself, when, when I was still going to church and I was teaching gospel doctrine and, and I really wanted to get people to think about the things in the way that I thought about them. And so I'd, I'd stir the soup a little bit and some people really liked it and some people really, really hated it. Yeah. Um, and you know, like it, it, it would be a little bit of an exaggeration and an overdramatic to say I was ridden out on the rails because I, there would still be a place for me if I still wanted to go. But I, I, I would have had to curtail myself in certain ways that I just wasn't willing to do. Right. Um, and that's what I worry about if I'm, with the whole comp, you know, can I give my wife what she, what I perceive to her, that she wants yeah. or expects? What am I doing to myself? Yeah. And I think I would reach a point. I honestly, I feel like I'm about there yeah. <laughs> where I just can't take it anymore. It's just so. Well, and, I don't see, know. And, and in my situation, like my, my first marriage wasn't a, a strong marriage. And, you know, like years before I left the church, my wife pulled me aside and she said, you know, I, I gotta tell I I really don't love you the way that a wife's supposed to love a husband. I'm like, oh okay, gosh. well that's great. We've got three kids. What are we gonna do about that? You know, but oh, but man. so so if if it would have been a different relationship, um, I, I could I could see me still be you know like when I was on Mormon Expression, I was still going to church and I was still trying to keep that marriage together and keep the family intact, even though it wasn't there wasn't really the strong connection between the two of us. Um, but, it, but, but to be able to curtail myself, to make choices and say, what is it that I really want? Because I, I want that kind of, I, I want a relationship that is, um, has depth to it, that has, right. um, you know, compassion for each other, that allows differences, um, you know, that there's love and support and those kinds of things. If I would have had that, I wouldn't have wanted to throw that away because of the, the Book of Mormon didn't have horses. You know, there was really, you know, like, like, so what, so what, so, so, so people, you know, I, I, I there's all these different factors that go in right. to where it is, but let, let's, let's get to this last one, because I think this last, this last point uh, is, is a really great one to, to lead up to. And I think it's, it's related and this is forgiveness. And so, so number five, forgiveness is important as it is a merger or balance between the physical world of boundaries and independence and the spiritual world of oneness or atonement. All right. Tell me what you mean by forgiveness here, Scott. Um, I think that when you forgive someone, 
you, in order to really forgive someone, I think there is a certain amount of understanding you have to have, um, you know, uh, from their perspective and acceptance of them even, yeah. you know, and, and, and so thinking of in line of what we we're just talking about with, with my marriage, you know, if let's say the, if the worst comes to pass, right. And my wife does say, I can't do this. This isn't what I signed up for. I think I can get it with someone else. So see you later. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that even then um, I could forgive her for that, you know, um, with my frame of mind that I'm in right now, mm-hmm. because I do love her and, and I love my, I don't know I love. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that forgiveness is, I guess I could see, like I would understand her perspective, you know, yeah. um, I would, I wouldn't hold it against her. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let that be a barrier between us. Yeah. And, you know, um, and even if she decided that she wanted things differently and she wanted to make her own barrier, that could be her prerogative. But for mine, I think that, um, and then, you know, when she's forgiven me of things and we've, and forgiveness is part of daily life in order to function, you know, yeah. I think, um, but I, I like that idea though, that that's a real, other than the atonement of like dying and coming back to everyone, um, that forgiveness is the next best thing where you are embracing other people and becoming one. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, if, if I was going to distill the meaning of life into one thing, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's this, I think it's forgiveness. I, I think if, if there's something that we are here to learn, it is that. Um, and, and I, I do think that it's also a synonym for love. And you, you mentioned love that, that what, whatever the differences are that we perceive between us, we're not going to allow those differences to get in the way of us having a really deep loving uh, relationship. And, and I, I I, I think about this pandemic again, and I, I, there are going to be, you know, people who have already lost their jobs, you know, businesses that are going under, people might lose their houses, you know, just the economic impact. There's going to be an, like the need for forgiveness in all these different areas. If, if everyone would just forgive and you're like, okay, the, 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 you know, you don't have to pay your mortgage for a couple of months. We can defer that. Um, you know, you don't have to take the, the business loan. We can defer that. But like if everybody was just willing to forgive, I think we'll be able to get through this really, really well. I think forgiveness is a key. And I, I think that's, that's how it is for all areas of life and relationship. And you can't really demand someone else forgive you. You've got to be the one that is able yeah. and willing to do the forgiving and maybe the other person is going to be like totally unreasonable and they're never going to forgive you. Uh, I think we're thinking about my first marriage again here in this one, <laughs> but, but you know, like I'm the one that's got to live with myself. I'm the one that's got to live right. with the things that I've done. I've got to be able to forgive myself. I've got to be able to forgive other people. Um, or I'm just going to be this walking ball of anxiety and fear and worry all the time. And, and, Forgiveness really is a strong, powerful panacea and antidote for that. So I, I like that you like what you did with these five points you built up to, to forgiveness. I thought that was really cool. Well, thanks. That's, yeah, I appreciate that. I, what do you, I like to, given the last, I think it was the last podcast was about fear. Mm. What do you, how do you think fear and forgiveness interact with each other? Uh, I think fear is one of those, um, 
probably the, the primary boundary that creates separation um, but between us, uh, but between people, between things, there's this fear of the unknown, fear of uh, damage, you know, f fear of being hurt. Um, and that if, if you're still afraid that someone's going to hurt you, you're not willing to forgive them because you don't want to put yourself in a vulnerable situation. Right. So I, I think fear becomes a deterrent to forgiveness. Okay. And I'm trying to think of a way to, to create a pun out of fear and call it fear-giveness, but it, I just can't find a way to make it work. <laughs> like the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been doing this for an hour and a half, Scott. What do you think about that? I've enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I have too. But yeah, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts. And um, I do appreciate everything you do. I really do. I like, I, I do like where the, I'm, you know, I, as far as the podcast goes, it's definitely changed directions. I think it's great. Um, I get my fix other places. Sure. You know? yeah. So as, as well, you know, so I, I really like the spice that you add and, and I, and I, I think I do fall a lot of line of, with kind of your way of thinking. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. So, yeah. Well, I, thanks. I, I, I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as it's fun. There's, there's times, I mean, I, I ask myself, why am I still doing this? What do I even have to say anymore? And, and so like hearing from you, it, it does help. It, it helps me go, okay, there, there are people out there who are listening to this, who are interested in similar things that I am. And we can you know, have conversations like this. And I, I kind of look at every podcast as a conversation that's happening, even though I don't know what's going on on the other end of it to whoever's listening to it and what the response sure. is there. But um, so I appreciate you. Scott for, for reaching out and initiating this and uh, yeah, let's, let's do it again. I'll, I'll take a look through that Jordan Peterson thing that you have and uh, we'll figure something out and, and maybe Tom will want to come on and speak for himself. <laughs> Hippy dippy soup of energy and vibrations and all that shit. I don't know. I don't know. I like Tom a lot. I don't, I don't have anything against Tom, but I think you might get frustrated. <laughs> oh, Tom, Tom's awesome. Like he, yeah, he gets frustrated about things, but he laughs it off and, He's a good I'm guy. Great. Oh, sounds fantastic. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hi. This is Hillary. Matthew. Ryan. Carol. Dashley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.